Well, Paul, today is what's known as Family Day in Ontario, which is where we live, Ontario, which is a province of Canada. Um, there are other family days spread out across the province, although interestingly enough in Manitoba, it's Louis Real Day today. Yeah, every province, well, most provinces call it Family Day. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think PEI calls it Islander Day or something like that. And I think Quebec is the only province that does not have a long weekend. I don't think they are. Well, the Quebecers tend to do things differently, right? Yeah, well, they have they have other holidays as well. So I think everything all balances out. But uh, yeah, today is uh, Family Day. Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday Family Day, Paul. Yeah. And you did something interesting over the weekend so far, I understand. I sure did. Um, I went snowmobiling on Saturday. And ah. a lot of people are probably thinking, Canadian, you're only going snowmobiling for the first time? But uh, yes, indeed. Uh, I did go snowmobiling for the first time. Well, you have a lot of experience snowshoeing, but not with snowmobiling. No, I don't. No, I haven't snowshoed that. I, <laughs> last time I snowshoed was probably like a like public school like a uh, road trip or I don't know, something like that. It was probably like 10 years old last time I went snowshoeing. But uh, I tell you, snowmobiling was a load of fun. Uh, my, yeah. brother, my brother-in-law has uh, snowmobiles. Uh, he lives just north of Barrie. Uh, so lots of snow up there. And yeah, it was a ton of fun. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, is your typical speed. Well, I wasn't going that fast because I'm not obviously very experienced. I was still getting the hang of it. But you're pretty much going maybe 35 to 40 kilometers an hour, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it really is. Oh yeah, fast. outdoors. It's, yeah, it's like being on a boat. That it does feel faster yeah. than it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, like you're going 40 kilometers an hour, and you feel like you're like just zooming along. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some of these snowmobiles are pretty powerful. Um, it's you could probably get up to 100 kilometers an hour on some of those. I couldn't even imagine. Can you imagine what 100 kilometers an hour on a snowmobile would be like? I'd be clinging on for dear life. But now, were you on it by yourself or were you on it with somebody? Uh, by myself. Okay. Yeah. So my my brother in law he has well he has a couple of snowmobiles. So he took one. My son rode with him just because I felt more comfortable with him being with an experienced rider. Because for me, I was still kind of learning the learning the snowmobile. So there were some. You know, sudden stop, some herky-jerky action. I didn't want him flying off the back of the snowmobile. Uh, well, that so, says a lot. You trust your brother-in-law enough to put your son on the back of a snowmobile. Or was he on the front of it? Or No, he was on the back. But my, my brother-in-law is obviously very experienced uh, snowmobiler. Like, he goes up to northern Ontario a couple times a year to, to go on the snowmobile trail. So, he's, he's pretty hardcore. Um, How so old I, is I, he? He's 33. So yeah, he's he's pretty experienced. I know he wouldn't do anything, you know, stupid or or take any weird turns or anything. So uh, my son, he he had a blast. He 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 really enjoyed that. It was like a, a fun ride for him. But yeah, for me, it was it was cool learning the uh, learning the machine because it it definitely takes some getting used to. It's very different from you know driving a a motor vehicle or. A tractor or anything of that nature it's it's very different um very different feel to it but it's a blast so if if you ever you have an opportunity to do that uh it was a load of fun a very canadian thing to do and uh, a really neat thing to do for family day i i've never done it i have heard of 
you know, I have someone I used to work with who owns a couple snowmobiles, and I find you can't just own one when it comes to snowmobile ownership, it seems. I guess yeah. because it's more fun to do it with somebody than just to be tooling around by yourself. Exactly. Most people probably own two. Um, and it's quite the industry. Like, there's a lot of gear that goes into it. Um, like, we, we just bought regular snow pants. Like, you, you need to bundle up because you're going to be pretty cold out there. Right. Um, but, yeah, like, it's not unusual to be going out there and it's, like, minus 30 degrees. Um, so, yeah, some of the, the gear, uh, the, the actual suits themselves can be several hundred dollars. The helmets can be up to a $1,000. So, um, yeah, as with any sport, there's a lot of money that goes into it. Yeah, you know, for for buying the snowmobiles, you can always buy secondhand. Um, but even then, it's you still got to have a little bit of a knowledge for uh, uh, with mechanics to to obviously you know work in the machines because that's going to get time consuming and expensive if you're putting it in the shop all the time. But uh, oh, yeah, I I fun. totally see it as being one of these. Uh, it's a hobby, I guess, that just has a whole yeah, lots of expenses associated with it. Yeah. So I understand that uh, you did something interesting as well this long weekend. Perhaps you can fill us in. This is kind of an update from a topic that we had discussed uh, probably several episodes ago with respect to public address announcing. So you, there has been some developments. There has. Um, so Friday, just this past Friday, I was at lunch. At lunch, you were supposed to join us at, yes, by I the way. I apologize for that. I got busy. So longtime loyal listener, Andrew, who uh, we don't share last names, so I won't. Uh, Andrew and I were having a nice lunch at a, an establishment up the street called the Old Stone Cottage. It's uh, one of the few restaurants in the area, but uh, this isn't about that. So anyway, Andrew and I were having a, a delightful lunch together, and uh, I guess we had just finished, and I was on my second beer by this point, and I get a text message from the Pickering Panthers, which is the which is an OJHL team, the Ontario Junior Hockey League. And it is a very competitive league. It's the seventh, apparently the seventh most competitive or, or strongest development league in North America. And I got a uh, text from the woman who runs the game day operations there saying, Clark, hope you're doing well. We... I'm wondering if you are available. Uh, our our current PA announcer has just come down with COVID, and we need you to do or someone to do the next four games for us. I was like, oh my god! So I I told Andrew, I said, oh my god, look what I just got, and he knows about this. And uh, I said, what am I going to do? Like it's just this moment of like, oh shit! Oh, and and by the way, we need you tonight. <laughs> So I get the big call up must have been, uh, yeah, it must have been quite the adrenaline rush when you saw that text. It, it was. And I went through a bit of a dry run with this back around New Year's. On New Year's Eve, I got a message from them saying that their, COVID, that their announcer got COVID. Could I come and do the January 2nd game? And I, that's when I had my first brush of, oh my God, this is really going to happen. So I actually, so I got this call or this text on January 31st, uh, sorry, December 31st, New Year's Eve saying, can you come out and do the January 2nd game? And that game actually got canceled because of a a burst pipe at the arena or something like that. And, um, but I spent the whole day 
on January 2nd prepping for this moment. And I was getting a little bit flustered and, and upset. And my wife said, what's wrong with you? Like, you're so excited to be doing this. And yet you're getting all wrapped up and flustered and worried. And, you know, don't, don't like have fun with it. Enjoy it. And then it ended up getting canceled, like I said. So I, ha- I had had this first opportunity to kind of go through this, you know, you want this. You've, this is something you've asked for, and now you're going. But I'm so wrapped up in wanting to do a good job. And yeah. well, I was just yeah, going to say, to give a little bit of context to our listeners, several episodes ago, the reason why this is, um, why we're talking about this is um, you had applied for a PA announcing job that was advertised by the Oshawa Generals. Yes. Which is in the Ontario Hockey League, which, as you had had stated before, there's various levels of, of hockey leagues here in Ontario, which are, obviously hockey is a very competitive sport. Yep. Um, the Oshawa Generals sort of being like the big show, like one, one level down from announcing at an NHL game. Um, yeah. And we had talked about the fact that, you know, for you to get some experience so that maybe that uh, the opportunity to announce at an Oshawa Generals game can can become a reality. Um, so yeah, announcing at the Pickering Panthers game was an amazing step in the right direction and, and to get you that, that much needed experience. So um, yeah, to, to get a, a four game call up, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And you nailed it on the head with getting the experience because that fill in announcer job, which it was posted as for the Oshawa generals, part of the OHL, that was one of the things they said in there was ex- uh, per- experience public address announcing uh, a pro- you know ideal or pre- a preference for the candidate they were looking for and i remember thinking ah that's okay i don't need experience Whew. i'm telling you like having the opportunity to do this with the pickering panthers was such a good experience like you know it's not something that draws a ton of fans it's you know hundreds not thousands so um it's a bit more low stakes it's still important but it's lower stakes so yeah and and getting an opportunity to do four games i felt like i was a call-up in a way where you know the player a player can get called in and be told they have one game to prove themselves or they've got four games to prove themselves and there's a real difference in those two scenarios yeah, and, and just getting that experience, I think, is is really the key to everything. Um, hopefully, you knock it out of the park, to use a, a baseball terminology here. Uh, but yeah, hopefully, you do a, a. Hopefully, they think you do a fantastic job with this four game stint that you're doing, and you get uh, some additional games. Um, but yeah, getting that experience, even if you don't, um, even if things don't necessarily pan out with with Pickering, depending on on the status of their full time announcer. Now yep. you can take that experience and go to some other teams um, and to be able to to be a, a PA announcer because it's one of those things where I can't imagine there's a ton of people that would think to be doing this. Um, certainly not anyone that would um, be approaching it with that much formality. Um, so yeah, I think that this is a tremendous opportunity that will, will lead to to greater opportunities down the road and maybe one yeah. day we'll see you 
see you announcing for the Oshawa Generals. But yeah, I guess it, it hammers home the fact that getting that experience was, was key because I guess for you to have gone into a Generals game like with no experience would have been very overwhelming. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I and, and I wouldn't have got a real appreciation for that, how overwhelming that probably would have been. Um, I mean, you just would have to deal with it, right? Like if I did get called in in that scenario, I would just have to deal with it. But like, let me just tell you a little bit about how it went down. Like when I got, so I went down to the, I spent, I printed off the player sheets, the roster sheets. I started looking at some of the names of the two teams that were going to be playing, looking for, you know, oddly, odd, odd names or foreign names. Like the, the Panthers have a player who uh his name um I forget the first name offhand it's not that's not the hard part it's the second his last name it's Papa Spiropolis I believe it is um which I I was extremely worried about uh screwing the name up and he doesn't have a lot of points and doesn't really uh play too much I don't think so I never have yet I've done two games now I haven't yet had to to say his name but I I have I so um the first night was pretty crazy like I got there and they they came up to me and they said oh hey here's the player sheet here's the pronunciations which I didn't know they had that so I was like okay great it was, so it actually showed you how to pronounce the names and then um they also said oh by the way one of our players just received player of the month we can you make this announcement that before the, there's going to be an on ice ceremony and we need you to do this player of the month. And I said, okay. And she says, I'll send it to you. I said, send it to me. Well, don't you have it on like a piece of paper or something? Said, no, no, I'll just send it to you. So I, I had this tiny, like my phone with this script and it was, it was like, you know, two minutes of stuff. I had to introduce the, OJHL, com, uh, not commissioner, but director of communications, who was going to present the award, and so I'm reading through it. I went off to off to the corner and I read it through it about five times. I get into the booth, and so the name of the player is Elijah Pilasov, and as as I'm just kind of scrambling, making sure I'm ready to go, this guy taps on the glass from behind. Great tall guy, gray hair, like hair perfect in every, you know, just perfectly coiffed hair. He's like, uh, yes, fellas, uh, by the way, uh, Elijah, he likes to be referred to as Eli. And I was like, okay, so now I got to make sure I say Eli instead of Elijah. And that was a little bit nerve wracking. And I found out he was the OGHL communications director. Anyway, I pulled it off. I, I, I did a pretty good job with it. It was the hardest part was not being able to hear myself very well. So, and the mic was not 100%. It was like 80% good. So sometimes I wasn't sure if I could be heard. And yeah, it was, it was kind of nuts at, at a few points. But I, for the first night, I think I actually did pretty good. Yeah. I guess the interesting thing about that is that when you're announcing it, it must be a completely different experience because here we are. When we record our podcast episodes, you know, we are able to listen to our own voices. We're in a controlled environment. You're in a noisy hockey arena. You have, you don't really know how your voice is projecting. You just hope that yeah. you hope that you're doing a good job and you have to rely on others for that feedback. Yes. So, yeah, that must have been a little bit weird. 
Well, my son came and he, you know, he sent me a little text. He's like, you got to be, you got to speak louder. And, and the, the guy who I was working with, who this guy was phenomenal. He was, he does. So it was me and another guy in the booth. And this guy does the scorekeeping, the clock, the time, like the penalty puts that up on the scoreboard. He stops the, the time. He starts the time. He does the music. Like I've got one job. Mm-hmm. And that's to speak at the right times. He's got about five jobs. Yeah. And one of his job, uh, the sixth part of his job is to ke- make sure I do my job in a sense, because <laughs> right. I was so new. And of course, you know, on the previous episode, I talked about fake it till you make it. And I was a little bit, I was kind of criticizing it in the in that episode with Justin and Salim. And I have to say, I I had to use fake it till you make it in this scenario. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, because what was, it was the only strategy that was going to work, you know, like, if I came in there just a, a mess or, or like, I had to come in there saying, I can do this, I got this, I know I haven't done it before, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well or the best of my ability, and I went with it and it helped, it really helped me to come in with that attitude. Yeah, well, just to have that, that internal confidence you said you got to go in there and you got to own it, even if you've never done it before in your life. That's right. Just, yes. You got to be confident because it's going to portray itself in, in your announcing. But uh, Yeah, and last night was quite special. I had uh, my, so the first, I was so glad I got it out of my, like the first night was uh, last Friday and I, my son came down to watch and, and then every, then all my family wanted to come to see it. So I said, let me get the first one under my belt. And then I had like 10 people come yesterday. I had mm-hmm. friends, family. Jason, who's a, a loyal listener, he was down there with his wife and, and daughter. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun knowing that there was a bunch of people out there who were fr- out there supporting me. It made it f- a lot more fun. Yeah. Well, you've got uh, two more games coming up. Uh, one on yes. Thursday afternoon and one on Friday evening. Um, I will be attending the Friday evening game. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I expect you to be uh, a seasoned pro by then. <laughs> well, it should be a lot. Should be a lot smoother. Certainly, the second night was much smoother than the first night. And the other thing too is they didn't give me a game script, which was also a bit tough because first the whole first period I kept. They said we're going to send it to you again by email. And again, I, I my little phone with all this information on it, I never got the game script for the first night. So I was constantly checking. They're like, did you receive it yet? Did you receive it yet? And I'm trying to do the job and then check my email. And I'm thinking somebody's going to see that I'm on the phone and think I'm like one of these people that just is on his phone all night. So, but it was a lot of fun. I had to remember two key things, breathe, smile, and not speak too fast. Pretty cool. Well, I wish you all the best. I think this is uh, starting the start of something really cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. And uh, yeah, hopefully by Friday, I'm I'm rocking. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Pace Painting. Pace Painting serving all your painting needs, whether it's commercial or residential. Now, full disclosure, Pete is my brother-in-law, and I would recommend him to do work for anyone. He's done several jobs for us. We've always been satisfied. We've recommended him to friends and family. He's great. Email Peter at paintwithpace at gmail.com or visit his Facebook page at Pace Painting Inc. 
That's paintwithpace at gmail.com or visit his Facebook page, Pace Painting Inc. Okay, Paul, you have a topic you brought to the table here. It's uh, it's around these um, plastic bags at grocery stores or plastic cups or a limit on cups. So what, what do you got here for us? Yeah, so obviously a big issue going on right now is the whole thing with reducing um, single-use plastics. Um, a lot of stores, a lot of restaurants are... I guess trying to eliminate the uh, the plastic straws and um, the plastic bags. Anyway, the the point that I'm I wanted to kind of single out today was the fact that um, when I was in Vancouver a couple of weeks back, um, they have an interesting bylaw that has been imposed, and it's quite recent. I think as of January first of this year. So in the city of Vancouver, the bylaw states that for Retailers in restaurants have to charge 15 cents for bags and 25 cents for for cups or takeout cups. Mm-hmm. Um, and first of all, yes, I understand that this is in place to act as a deterrent to reduce single use. However, right. what I found was interesting is that, okay, first of all, 15 cents for bags. Most people are used to paying a nickel at the grocery store or wherever maybe 10 cents. So 15 cents, but that includes any bag. So even if it's a paper bag, we're not just talking about plastics here, any bag Hmm. at all. So reason why I thought this kind of piqued my interest is because I was in a McDonald's, you know, grabbing a breakfast sandwich. So you got to pay 15 cents for a paper bag, which is recyclable. And then 25 cents for any kind of a take takeout cup. So I I guess it's, it's encouraging people to, to bring reusable cups, but um, so the point being is that if you go and, and grab your morning coffee, that's automatic 25 cents just going towards the cup itself. And, then, and is the coffee reduced in price at all? Or is no, it you're still, still your still paying the same amount for, uh, for your cup right. of coffee, you know, whatever it's $1.75 or $2, whatever it is, it keeps going up. Um, and the reason I want to bring this up is because it, it's the whole thing about the, the plastic bags and, and. I think what is certainly from a Toronto perspective, I'm sure a lot of people in the Toronto area likely do not know this fact that the city of Toronto actually does not have a bylaw that, that imposes any kind of a charge for single use plastic bags. Okay. So, it doesn't have one. Did it, did it, it ever I think have it one? It did, but that was many, many years ago. I think they only imposed it for like a year or something. But right. apparently the city of Toronto retracted its bylaw that required retailers to charge for bags. That sounds like a Doug Ford type of thing, retracting that law. It could have been. Well, I guess if it was the city of Toronto, it would have been probably Rob Ford back in the day. Oh, sorry, Rob yeah. Ford, yeah. Um, so the the bylaw states that retailers are required to provide recyclable carry-out bags. So I have a couple of sort of issues with this, is that, okay, so a lot of these retailers are charging five cents for bags, but it's not a tax. Like that, that money does not go to the government, does not go to a charitable organization. That goes That's in, right. into the pockets of the retailers, of the grocery stores. And according to this, well, as I said, there, there's not necessarily a bylaw, but the city of Toronto, I think, does require stores to provide recyclable carryout bags as alternatives. So when you go to a grocery store, you should have the option of having a paper bag a bag that is quote unquote recyclable, Mm. 
but most stores. But you mean the retailers should serve, should provide yeah, that? Yeah, the retailers. And then not stores, charge for it. And then not charge for it. So you, technically, you shouldn't have to pay for recyclable like paper bags. But right. most retailers do not have that option. So what I think is kind of hypocritical, and, and I should footnote by saying that, um, you know, I'm all in favor of reducing the amount of plastics because, yes, I do think it does get carried away. Um, the amount of, of single-use plastic bags out there. So anything that can be done to eliminate plastic bags, I'm all for it. If, if the additional money that you're paying is going towards, you know, environmental charities or going towards, um, you know, a, a tax to the city that is then used to help to clean up waste, um, you know, mm. increase costs for garbage disposal. But what I find hypocritical is that when you go to a Walmart, they're paying, you're having to pay five cents for a single use plastic bag. But I don't know, it might, maybe it's just the store that I go to, but I found that the last couple of times that I've been, you know, the cashiers only put like three items in a bag. Like if, if you're forcing customers to pay five cents for a bag, then you should provide a bag that you put as many products as possible in that bag to try to, again, reduce the amount of bags. But what I find is that there's retailers that I think are probably trying to encourage people to buy more bags because they get that five cents each one. Mm. And that, wow. that's, yeah. that's my problem is that when you have the Walmarts that, you know, you, you go to, you know, you go shopping at Walmart and they put like two items in a bag. Like there's been a few times when I've said to the cashier, um, you can put a few more things in there. Really? I've yeah. never, I've never really had that feeling in the places I've never gone. I don't go to Walmart. Generally, it's a rare day that I go to a Walmart. I just can't, I can't manage it from a, a mental health <laughs> perspective. Yeah. I try to avoid Walmart as much as possible as well, but sometimes trips are unavoidable. Uh, but you know, yeah. this podcast could probably be served well by more visits to Walmart. <laughs> yeah, people at Walmart. I'm sure we could come up with some more material. Oh, yeah, there's always something weird happening at Walmart. But All right, well, so I'm I'm with you. I think it's ridiculous that the retailer takes the money for this surcharge. It's a it's pure profit. I mean, these bags are probably, you know, 1 0.1 cent in cost to the retailer. And then they're picking up an extra. So how much is it? That, is there a certain amount that most places charge? I think the place up the street charges five cents a bag. Yeah, usually it's either five or ten cents. And you know, I, I think with the Vancouver uh, bylaw, it's although it seems a little bit steeper, it, at least that money, from what I've read, it actually goes towards. It's it's an actual tax that is used for garbage cleanup. Um, the fact that garbage bags can, um, you know, clog city drains and, and uh, you know, water sewage. Um, right. You know, it's like sewage drains, that type of thing. So there's a cost to, to the cleanup. If, if, it's, if that money is being used for, for beautification, then, okay, maybe I can see that. But it's certainly not happening in Toronto. <laughs> you know, so the... The interesting thing is, is that the plastic bags that I get from the grocery store, and I always, I mean, the whole thing was you're supposed, this one was to get people to bring their own bags. You know, those fabric bags, you, used to, you see people bringing them, you still do. And mm -hmm. when I get these, I actually, I like getting the plastic bags because I use them for, in Toronto, we can use those regular plastic bags for compost. Mm -hmm. So I can fit, put it into my compost bin, fill it up with food garbage 
and then tie it up and then into the food the compost bin it goes not the ones that sit out in your backyard and degrade them talking the ones the garbage uh, collectors pick up yeah you know every week so i like them and i don't feel guilty at all for getting them if it's a biodegradable bag for sure no but even regular plastic bags apparently you can you can use okay because you know I've, every article i've read said that you know the the single use plastic bags apparently take like a thousand years to decompose so it, maybe it depends on the on the type of bag um, so i i live with someone who is one of the most What's the right word? <laughs> She's quite particular about what's environmentally friendly and what is not, and has never said anything about that plastic bag being a, an issue. So I'll have to ask her about yeah. that. Yeah, again, it all depends on, on the type of, of plastic bag. Because yes, some are probably biodegradable. So if you're paying five cents for a biodegradable bag, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But as I said, when you're paying five cents for a single-use plastic bag... And that money just lines the pocket of the retailers. That's where I have a. That's where that's where my beef lies in that one. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's it's been so. I looked it up by the way. So two thousand nine is when the law came in. The bylaw it was a bylaw in Toronto two thousand nine, and then it was rescinded July first two thousand twelve. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious as to why. I wouldn't be shocked if they went back. If, if they if they resurrected that bylaw. So, yeah, maybe I'll research that a little bit more as to the motivation as to why they rescinded that back in 2012, you say? Yeah, I'm just uh, seeing if I can find something quick on it here. Um, it just it just says now they've basically left it up that, that consumers can decide whether or not to buy them. Some stores are still charging. And it says she wants to, the article says, we want to make it clear the city has nothing to do with any charges for bags and wants stores to post signage that sets the record straight. Now, yeah. I've never seen anything that says that in a store. Yeah, like I, I try to do my part. I, I try to bring this. Have you seen that though? Where it says, no. Uh, you know, attention everyone, the city is not taking the funds that we're charging. We I've are. Never, like I've never seen, seen a sign like never that. I've never seen that advertisement. So just to kind of wrap things up on this one, um, yep. yeah, I, I usually try to bring recycled bags myself, but sometimes you do get caught where unexpected you nip into the grocery store and you end up buying more than you think. But yeah, the, the point being is that I just have a real issue with stores not providing options in terms of recycled bags and then basically encouraging more purchasing of these single-use bags by only putting like three items in each each bag i know that yeah I'm, just an isolated yeah. you know isolated experience that i've i've seen in terms of my observations but i'm sure this happens quite a bit but either way i'm sure these charges are uh there's there's more to come what we're watching reading listening to anything else reading watching listening to i think that's the usual stuff right yeah so what do you what do you got there? What do you what what what's on your? Uh, last night I watched a really interesting movie. I really enjoyed it. It's called um, Munich: The Edge of War. Uh, this is a, a Netflix production. I think it's actually a Netflix original. Um, and this the, basically the premise was um, it, it's the build up to to World War Two. Um, the the appeasement of, uh, of Nazi aggression 
Um, the movie took place in 1938 as um, Hitler was, um, I guess, aggressively, um, I guess, expanding his troops into what was then Czechoslovakia. Um, and it has to do, the, the movie premise was all about the diplomacy that went on with respect to uh, the British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain at the time, um, his policy of appeasement. Um, but within this movie, there's sort of a, a, a sub-story as well um, regarding the, the main characters, and it has to do with a little bit of espionage. Um, there's certainly some suspense here. I really enjoyed it. It was one of those movies that I wasn't really expecting to enjoy it so much. Um, and anyone who loves any kind of historical dramas, you know, I, I, <laughs> you know me, I love my history. Um, yes. Yeah, I thought this was an awesome movie, so highly recommend it. Why did you Why did you say you went into it not thinking well, you were going to enjoy did, it? I didn't know much about it um, because you know when you when you flip through the previews on Netflix, they only just give you a snippet, so it doesn't really give you a, an accurate, I guess, uh, you know, expectation as to what to expect with the movie. Um, but the subject matter piqued my interest. Um, so sometimes when you go into a movie not really knowing what to expect or, or just having lower expectations, you know, when, when it ends up exceeding expectations, you're like, wow, that was really cool. That was a great movie. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. Um, Munich, the edge of war on Netflix. Okay. Yes. I'm going to look up, yeah. the, look up that one. Yeah. Okay. For me, when I, as I was preparing for the PA announcing, I, I was just on YouTube looking at some examples of, you know, PA work that was done in the NHL and just watching a whole bunch of stuff, the Leafs, player introductions. And I wasn't trying to copy any particular style, but I, I just wanted to get a feel for how announcers talked at the games and presented things. And in that process, I came across a Johnny Bauer tribute on YouTube that was presented. Johnny Bauer's Johnny Bauer died, I think it was, yeah, 2017. And he was a hockey player for the Toronto Maple Leafs, goalie. He was a goalie. He comes from the era of when goalies did not wear face masks in the NHL, which is beyond belief to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, he got hit in the face a lot. And uh, eventually masks came in and he did wear a face mask at, at, toward at the end of his career. But this tribute, Paul brought tears to my eyes. It was so emotional to me. So th this tribute though, was this the one that was maybe broadcast at, um, I guess, well, probably at the leaf game. Was it yeah. right after he died? Yeah. Like a week after. Yeah. Cause usually whenever like certainly hall of fame players, whenever anyone passes away, they'll always have a, a, a tribute to them at the Scotiabank arena, typically the, the first home. That's game. right. So I guess that's this right. was the one that they had broadcast. It, it was. And they showed, it was the broadcast, but it was also the the on ice presentation to his wife, who came out. Married, I think they were married for sixty plus years or something. I think it was sixty nine years they were married, something crazy. And he would, was born in nineteen twenty four, died in two thousand seventeen. So do the math, I guess. Um, so he they lived for, to a very ripe old age. Um, he's apparently been honored on ice more times, I think, than any other Maple Leaf player. But uh, this was a, such an emotional video, and I, I honestly, it brought a tear to my eye. And I never grew up watching him play, right? Because he was from a, a much older time period. But it was extremely emotional, and I never realized he only got called up to the Leafs 
when he was 33, I believe. And that's very old, especially for that era, right? Like to, to be 33. And he, from the time he played, he was always the oldest Maple Leaf player on the team. Yeah, he certainly did have a certainly had a, a pretty interesting career because you're right. He sp- he spent like the first ten years of his career just being in the minor leagues in the probably the American Hockey League. Um, so yeah, it, it's incredible that he developed or his career brought him to the Hall of Fame in what maybe ten NHL seasons. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. He um, he retired in. Very, oh, okay. He retired in 1990, but that's after his career was already over and he was, or his playing career was over and he did other things. He was a scout, he was a coach, various positions in the organization, but he was always unofficially affiliated with the Leafs until he died in 2017. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1976 and was rated the one of the 100 greatest NHL players in history. If you see some in uh, the, the, in the, tribute video they showed him they that what he was when he was 33 i mean he looked like he was turning 50 in the video <laughs> um like a 33 yeah, year old then it, it was much older looking than it is today i mean he looked like a 50 year old guy or even older than that on the ice yeah i guess uh pucks to the face would do that to you any yeah but i think in general 33 in the 50s or whatever it was or 60s is it just looked older than it does today yeah so true and and a lot of these nhl players it wasn't the uh let's say easy lifestyle cuz it's not easy but you know a lot of these guys had to get second jobs during the summertime just to pay the bills um that's NHL right players that's were, right were not paid very well back in the 50s 60s even up to probably the 70s um, yep. So yeah, a lot of these guys worked on the farm or worked in construction during the summertime. So it was a tough life. And you're right, like there was no masks. Guys were, it was a, a rough style of hockey back then. Um, you know, probably more fighting, pucks to the face. Yeah. It, it was, oh yeah. It was very unglamorous. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but the, the link, if you're on YouTube and want to check it out, it's called Maple Leafs Give Late Johnny Bauer an Amazing Farewell. Um, I recommend it if you're, even if you're not a hockey fan, this was just so cool to see. They brought his wife on and all his grandkids onto the ice and his, his daughter and his son. Very emotional. Highly, check it out. It's It'll bring a tear to your eye. Okay, weird news. I've got one here for us, Paul. So here's here's the headline. Man battling town over, we- over whether pot-bellied pig is livestock or emotional support pet? Most of the weird news stories you bring up involving something with an animal, whether it's monkeys attacking people or pot belly. Monkeys do tend to appear most in these weird news stories, especially ones involving animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in uh, this is in Cano, I'm going to get the wrong pronunciation, Cano Johari, New York. Ellie, the pot-bellied pig, snuggles up to Wyvern Flat. That's this guy's name, Wyvern Flat, when he watches TV and sometimes rolls over to let him pet her belly. The 110-pound pig is family, Flat says, an emotional support animal who helps him through a helped him through a divorce and the death of his mother. 
but the vill- town, the vill- people who live in this village, they see it quite differently. To them, the pig is a farm animal. Flat is harboring in the village illegally. But it makes you wonder why people are complaining about this pig, though. Like, is it just strictly in, in, in if it's an indoor animal, then why would it be an issue? So I'm wondering if there's more to this. Like, why why are people outraged? Why is this becoming an issue? Like, is this thing, is he taking it around town and this thing is making a mess or something? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't say that, you know, the, that this pig was out there. They do, they do say that a village code officer told Flat that he was housing Ellie illegally in October 2019 during a visit for a building permit request. Okay, so this guy came in to inspect the building. I don't think it was related. This this village code officer. When the village noticed that Ellie was still there six months later, Flat was formally notified he was violating the local code barring farm animals in the village. Oh, okay. So they're not even allowed to have farm animals in the village. The violation of a zoning code is a misdemeanor under state law. And now there's, uh, it's apparently going to go to court. Well, if guess. found guilty, Flat could face jail time or have the pig taken from him, according mm-hmm. to the attorney. Yeah, once in a while, as you said, like, there's, you get these weird animal stories. Like, remember a few years ago with the Ikea monkey? Remember that? No. Oh, okay. I, you know, that's going to be a topic in itself. We, we have to, okay. Well, I won't say anything more about the Ikea monkey. We'll, Ikea we'll have to, monkey. We'll have to resurrect that for another topic because, yeah, that's that's something <laughs> that was something pretty bizarre. But yeah, you have cases where, yeah, maybe people take liberties with what kind of animals that they consider to be pets. Um, in this case, yeah, if he is successful in getting this pig I guess, certified as an emotional support animal, um, then maybe that might help his cause. Because I know certainly in Ontario to have an animal as an emotional support I don't think there's a lot of um, I don't think there's a lot of uh, criteria or, or requirements that you have to do to, to meet that threshold. I think you just apply for a permit or something like that, and you just get a doctor to sign off. I, I could be mistaken. Oh, really? But, um, you know, it's 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 different if it's an actual support animal, like a, you know, a guide dog or something that receives formal training. Um, but yeah, if if he can get if he can get this pig certified as emotional support animal, then uh, yeah, good on him. Yeah, the emotional support animal thing, that actually has also been a topic on this podcast. I remember I did an episode with Simon way back where it was somebody wanted to bring a peacock on a plane. <laughs> yeah. <A> peacock. <laughs> peacock. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm like, did this, did I really... Did, did that was that I, I have to go look at that I'm wondering did I get that wrong but I'm pretty sure there was a, a story we did way back like in the first 10 episodes about an emotional support peacock okay yeah you know I think we need to revisit this for uh, for one of our, our future episodes we'll, we'll talk Ikea about Ikea monkeys Ikea monkey and the peacock on the plane this this is too good to to not be talking <laughs> we can't we cannot ignore these topics. All right, so enjoy your family day, Paul, and I will see you Friday at the Pickering Panthers game. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing seeing what you can provide for the uh, 
for the uh, the whole hockey ex- experience here. I ha- actually haven't been to a Pickering Panthers game, so uh, it, it'll be a new experience for me all around. So to, to have you as the announcer, it's uh, it's really cool. I'm looking forward to it. All right. And if you, I told uh, when my nephews came yesterday, I said, if you guys act up, I may announce your name over the over the system, you know. Yeah, resort to public shaming, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Would uh yeah, and, you know, tell them they have to report to customer service or something. Yeah. So don't don't act up out there, Paul. I'll try not I'll to. I'll get I'll, you. I'll, I'll try not to pound. Well, hey, do they serve beers? Unfortunately or fortunately, they don't. Oh, okay. Then I'll behave myself. You'll have to prime up before you come. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul. Have a great family day. You as well.